Morning, Crossroads. I'm Brad Friedline. I am a senior pastor here at Crossroads, and I, too, want to welcome you here. Uh, it's good to see each of you here. And uh, yeah, uh, we're going to do something we haven't done in a long time today. And But hold on, don't move yet. We're going to actually dismiss the kids to Children's Church. So um, I'm, I'm sure, hold on, don't leave yet. Wait, I, I have one thing that you have to be a part of before you can go. Just literally take a couple minutes here. Um, so I'm just excited that we're able to be at that point and at least do this and ask that you would be just praying for our teachers and our volunteers with our children's ministry as, and with our youth ministry as we move forward in this uh, season of, as I told our staff and even some of our volunteers, in my 30-plus years of vocational ministry, I've never gone into a fall like this. And so we're, we're like the school districts. We're, you know, we're doing the best we can with what we got. So um, before we dismiss the kids, so there, there's a story I want to have told and I but before that story is told, just a reminder that, you know, our mission is impacting people with the love of Jesus on the journey of life. And, and so our goal and our desire is to really, really love well. And we want to love like Jesus. And this mission of ours is our promise to the world. It's, it's part of the great command that we hear Jesus saying in, in the Gospels that, we are to love God and love others as we love ourselves. Um, so if, if, if we want to do this command well, it starts with us loving each other. And then it branches out to loving those around us. Loving others means even loving our enemies and praying for those who per persecute us. This love thing, which is important for us, is part of our core values, and, uh, and I'm just going to re, um, kind of just point out what our core values are again. Are, have you got those slides? There, there they are. Okay. Um, and it's just reminding our, our core values are, are God's Word, and we're asking ourselves, am I in it? Is, in, is it in me? When it comes to love, am I loving like Jesus? When it comes to transformation, am I changing from the inside out? When it comes to fellowship, am I in relationship with others authentically? When it comes to being spirit-led, am I yielding? And not only yielding, but responding to the spirit. Um, when it comes to uh, uh, prayer and worship, am I encountering him? And when it comes to going, am I on mission near and far? And the reason why I want to bring that up is everything that we are doing as a church, from our mission to our vision to how we do things, fits, has these core values as our foundation. Outreach, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, is a part of that. And I used this fence picture, uh, if you remember from last week, and that Faith at home and prayer and outreach are the rails to our fence that hold everything together. And when we're talking about outreach, we want outreach to be organic, meaning it's less about having an outreach program or an outreach event, and it's more about, if we remember, we, we talked about a few weeks ago, outreach is a lifestyle. So, for the elders, 
uh, we're beginning to talk about what does it mean that outreach is a lifestyle. And what that means is recognizing that all of us, when it comes to evangelism or outreach, on, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, 10 being evangelism is my thing, I'm thinking about it all the time, to 1 being, yeah, I really don't think about outreach at all, I don't think about evangelism at all. How do we raise your temperature one degree? If you say, you know what, on that scale I'm a three, how do we get it to four? And so we're beginning to ask questions around the elder uh, table once a month, questions like, what is something you've done in the last month to demonstrate the love of Jesus to somebody else? Who is somebody you're praying for that needs Jesus? What is one thing you can do this next month to impact somebody with the love of Jesus? Maybe that person that you're praying for that needs Jesus, what's one thing you can do this next month to just show them love? Well, as we are having these conversations, again, there's a lot of grace around it because for most of us, it's like this is a new thing to be intentional about this stuff. Uh, Marcus shared a couple stories, so I'm going to ask Marcus Carlson to come up, one of our elders, and he shared a couple of stories that, for me, illustrate how outreach or evangelism becomes organic and is a part of our everyday life. So, thanks, Marcus, for sharing with us. Good morning, Crossroads. How's everybody doing? Um, yeah, it's just talking about in the other meeting, I shared some stories, and um, Pastor wanted me to tell you about them. Um, just trying to impact people with the love of Jesus on the journey of life. I've been praying about that a lot, and how can I be a light to people with all the hurting that's going on? And so the problem is that a lot of times I'm very busy, and I forget my prayers, and I get tied up in work and stress and things going on. And this particular week that I'm going to tell you about, I was, went to the paint store, coming back from the paint store, had way too much to do for the week, and I'm like, I'm just stressing out. And I felt the Spirit of God come on me, not an audible voice, but just saying, Marcus, give it to me. And um, he said, I want you to, I'm going to help you with these things. Give them to me. And he said, in my spirit I felt, um, I want you to look for others that are hurting. And so, um, I didn't know it was going to be this day. We went to Denny's. I, 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 my dad was on a job. We were in a, it, was gonna, it ended up being that it was going to storm that night, so we couldn't finish the deck. So I said, Dad, just come over to Denny's. We're going to eat lunch. And so I got to Denny's, and uh, the waitress, real bubbly, happily, bring me outside, sat me down, and it was me outside with one other gal. And I said, okay, Lord, I didn't know it was going to be today. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and I, I can tell she's kind of down. And I said, hey, how's it going? What's, how's your day going? And she goes, well, it's not going very good. My mom's in the hospital over here, and she has stage 4 cancer. And I said, you know what? I can relate with you. My mom died of cancer. And I said, man, if I didn't have God in my life, I don't know how I would have got through it. And uh, she, I, start, I, I said, can I pray for you? 
And she said, yes. And so I prayed for her, and um, when she got done, she was wiping her eyes, and I was wiping mine. And she really thanked me. She said, thank you so much for praying for me. And she left, and my dad came. We, and all the waitress brings my dad in, and, and uh, here we got done eating, and here the waitress comes out and says, she paid for your meal. And so me and my dad are sitting there, and we're like, well, what do we, you know, the waitress left, and really good waitress. She was very attentive, constantly happy, smiling. So let's, let, what, what should we do? So both of us in our spirit felt $25, and we said that, but then dad paused for a second, and, and he's always the type that'll want to give more. And so he said, let's give her 100. I'm like, all right, let's give her 100. <laughs> so um, we gave her a $100 bill, and instantly she started crying. She, um, she goes, I, I, I've got, I'm a single parent, and I, I haven't had money to pay for food, and Sorry. And um, I wasn't going to do this. I always get emotional up here. Um, anyways, um, she said, you know, I had, she's just starting opening up. And she's, um, she's saying, you know, my, my dad was an alcoholic and a drunk and drug addict, and he died when I was young. He wanted nothing to do with me. My mom is still a drug addict and a drunk. And uh, she goes, my sister's so successful she's a dentist and she goes I'm not I'm not successful and I stopped her right there and I said you are successful look what you've come from and what you're doing you served me so well today you smiled you were happy I said you're taking care of your kids you didn't have that I said that's a lie and so I prayed for her I said can I pray for you and so we prayed and uh, she, we were all crying after that and um, so then another story I want to share, um, with all the racial things going on, um, I've been asking God to use me, use me with this hatred going on and show that as a white man, I am not racist, right? So just bring, bring in a situation for me. And so I'm going to work and, uh, there was a guy, a black man came into the yard as I was coming in. He said, are you the homeowner? And I said, no, I'm not the homeowner. And we, he was going to uh, find the wires in the ground with a meter and so, so they could dig in the house. And so we just started talking and was sharing, and, and um, God opened the doors. And uh, um, he started telling me that his wife was going to leave him. And so he has two kids, 14 and 16, and that he was, he was just devastated. He was doing counseling and trying to work on it. And financially, it was really going to hurt him. And uh, I just said, can I pray for you? All these people are walking around. I didn't know how he would feel. And he said, yeah. So I prayed for him, that he would have new life in his marriage. And um, anyway, so I got, I got done, and I went to my truck. And I forgot that I had this money in my truck. And I just, it was a couple hundred bucks, and I felt the Spirit of God on me again saying, give him that money. So I went and didn't want to make a big deal about it, just handed it to him. And he said, you don't know what this means to me. And he, he said, thank you so much. I said, don't thank me, thank God. It was all him. And so I didn't want to make a big deal about it. I went back in. Fifteen minutes later, I came back out, 
And this big, strong black man is, is over crying behind the dirt pile. So I went over there and I, I handed him my paint card and I said, hey, if you ever want to talk or you ever want to get together, let's get together. And he hasn't called me yet. I hope he does. But it's just, the joy that you get from that has been amazing and I just thank God for it. It's not about me, it's about Christ. I am weak, he is strong. Um, but we all can do things, right? There's so many hurting people. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, I just want to do more. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you, Marcus. Okay, kids, you can head off to Children's Church. And hey, they're going to be outside, parents, so if, uh, if they have a sweatshirt or a jacket that you want them to have. But pickup will be downstairs after the service, so they're just going to go outside for a little bit. So, um. <laughs> That's impacting people with the love of Jesus on the journey of life. That's it right there. In a nutshell. All of us can do that. Every one of us. And I hope, I hope you recognize a couple of things in Marcus's story. It was just part of his day-to-day -day life. He, it wasn't an outreach event. It was just, God, use me today. I hope you see that it wasn't about getting the people he was talking to to pray a prayer. It was just loving on him. Marcus is just planting seeds like crazy. Remember, it is in 1 Corinthians, we went over this a little while ago. Paul planted, Apollos watered, God causes the growth. We we look at outreach and we think that the only way we can be successful in outreach is if I'm actually leading a person to pray the sinner's prayer or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, we want them to get to a point where they're surrendering, but we, let's just love people. They're hurting like crazy right now. The most excited group about what's all going on in this world should be followers of Jesus. Because of all the turmoil, all the hatred, all the unknown, people, the mental health stuff, the anxiety stuff is through the roof. We as believers should be walking into every situation with God's peace, with God's calm, with God's love. We should not be the ones going, whatever. <laughs> this is my desire. This is, this is why you're going to hear me always talking about impacting people with the love of Jesus on the journey of life. This is why outreach needs to be organic and starting with our elders and even our staff and, and me, we're, we're going to model this. <laughs> we're going to model this as your leaders. And then we're going to come to you and we're going to tell more stories of what God is doing. And then we're going to challenge you. We're going to say, okay, how about you? 
And then I want to hear stories from you because we want, we want, I want, I want stories at least once or twice a month of people sharing God's love with, with the world. All right. Today, uh, we're beginning a new sermon series. It's called The Problem of Pride. It's part of a larger series that we've already been in. This is part of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be getting to look at chapter 5 and moving forward, uh, where the first four chapters, we really pounded unity. This chapter, we're going to take a look at pride and as we move forward and arrogance and see how it all fits in. Last March is when we began our journey through 1 Corinthians, and we, I want to just take a few moments and hit a couple of high points of the first four chapters for me uh, around unity, and then we will begin to press into chapter 5 and begin talking about the problem of pride. As we began back in Mark, I actually began the sermon series with a joke. And it's a joke that's written by a comedian named Emo Phillips, and this joke was listed as the 44th funniest joke of all time, according to GQ magazine a number of years ago. And I'm going to tell this joke again, because it fits so perfectly. Once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump, and I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What denomination? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. I said, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist General Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Conference uh, Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die heretic and pushed him in. Jokes and sarcasm are great because it points out the line of truth that is there, that, that we all know is there, um, and it helps us to take a humorous and yet at the same time serious look. And we, that was at the heart of what, we were, what Paul was dealing with in the church of Corinth, and it is the heart of what we deal with here in America 2,000 years ago, even in our churches. Corinth, if you remember, we talked about, was a city that had a strategic location for commerce and trade. It was right between two gulfs, the Gulf of Corinth and the Saronic Gulf. 
and the distance by land between these two gulfs um, was about eight miles. And Corinth, being on the uh, more eastern on the eastern side, this made it great for merchants. They come by ship into Corinth, unload their stuff, and then by land take their stuff across this eight miles, and then get in another ship, and then continue on to the uh, farther western side of the Mediterranean. It kept them from having to take their ship all the way down south around the southern tip of Greece. And even though Corinth is in Greece, uh, it had strong Roman influence because Roman had conquered uh, the Mediterranean world at that time and it was Roman rule that was in, uh, was in rule then. It was a very diverse city because of all of this commerce and trade. So racial diversity, wealth, religions, belief systems all from all over the world. And at that time, the people in Corinth were pantheists, which means they worshipped many different gods. But the main god was the goddess Aphrodite. She was the goddess of love and beauty and fertility and really was seen as the supreme protector and ruler over the city of Corinth. Paul's planting a church in Corinth was really a very a strategic move because um, of that diversity and all the people coming in and through Corinth. There was a strong Jewish community, so he could reach out to the Jews, but then all the different races and all the different people, who knows who would hear about the gospel and as they went back to their homeland would bring the gospel with them. 1 Corinthians was most likely written around 53 to 57 AD while Paul was in Ephesus. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 18. Um, and then you can read in Acts chapter 19 of when Apollos was in Corinth and Paul was in Ephesus. And that kind of gives you the picture and the understanding why they think um, Corinth was written in that 53 to 57 AD. Corinth, like all churches, had some issues pop up. And most likely, Paul received a letter from Corinth going, what do we do? Paul's, Corinth, uh, Paul's response to Corinth talks about many of the things that they were dealing with. Uh, divisions, uh, the difference between the natural person and the spiritual person, um, how to be unified, sexual immorality, marriage issues, divorce, singleness, lawsuits or disagreements between believers, how to handle them, how to live out your calling, um, eating food offered to idols, idolatry, orderly worship, the role of men and women in, in worship, abusing the Lord's Supper, gifts of the Spirit, lots of different things that Paul addresses in this letter. And the theme verse for me is 1 Corinthians 1.10. And here it is again. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. I love the word picture in the New Living Translation of Paul's call for the church to live in harmony. 
All you have to do is just think about a few minutes ago when our worship team was up here. You have different instruments playing different notes. You have different singers singing different notes. But it's all the same song. And because they're doing all the same song, even though those different notes are there, it comes across in this beautiful harmony. And that's the picture that Paul wants for the church. There's lots of different people with lots of different gifts and the talents and even passions. And as long as they're singing the same song, it's a beautiful harmony. Part of Corinth's problem was they began singing different songs. Paul wanted to remind them, if you remember, the song is the good news of Jesus Christ. The song is the good news of the cross. That's the song. So sing your note, play your instrument, talk about your passions. But are you singing the song of Jesus? To help us with this conversation about unity, I referenced a book called Disunity in Christ, Undercovering the Hidden Forces That Keep Us Apart by Dr. Christina Cleveland. She has her PhD in social psychology. What she does is she studies how people interact with each other. And part of her reasoning in writing her book was to help us to see as followers of Jesus, how our brain actually functions and impacts us and is part of the reason why there's divides. And if you remember, there's this phrase, two words, cognitive miser. Our brains are cognitive miser. It means that when your brain want, is functioning, it wants to use the least amount of energy possible. This is why our brains create what are these neurological pathways from one point to another. Once your brain gets a pathway from one point to another, it's going to go that path and it's going to stay on that path until something happens to totally disrupt it. Now, that doesn't mean we have faulty brains. That just means there's a reason why you have habits. Our human brain really is limited in its ability to pay attention to all the information that we face every day. And if you remember, I did bring up that multitasking is really an impossibility according to social scientists. Um, so the question is, how do we cope with a, that being a cognitive miser? What happens when we, our brains are conserving our mental energy? And if you remember, I referenced parents, when you're talking to your kid and they're not, they're right in the room and they don't hear you, it seems like. That's because our brain is functioning on something else. It's focused on something else. It doesn't want to hear you. <laughs> we use mental shortcuts to uh, help us get through our day. And part of this habit building, I, I just keep thinking in the morning when my brain is not functioning at all, I have 
a process that I go to. I get out of bed, I go to the bathroom, I go to the kitchen, and I go through the process of making coffee. I don't have to think as I'm doing it. Because I do the same thing every day. The problem comes when Terry is going to be really helpful. And the night before, she fills up the coffee maker with water for me. Because then I'm going through my motion, and all of a sudden, wait, there's water in there. Now I have to think. Right. But the, the, the point is, is that now you can see why one person does something nice for somebody, and, and that person may not take it as being nice, because now they have to think, because things have changed. That means we don't stop doing nice things. Don't stop filling the coffee maker with water. I appreciate that immensely. Thank you. It's just recognizing that that's how your brain functions. And if you recognize it, oh, now I get that's why I do the things I do. But we then, in our cognitive miser brains, we label people because when I label people, now I don't have to think about those people. And if you remember, we talked about we label people by color, by skin color. We, we look at a person of a different skin color and we make assumptions about that person just because of the color of their skin. It's easier in our brain to function that way. We label people because of their political affiliation. If they say I'm a Republican or a conservative, we just go, oh, this is the way they think. If they say I'm liberal, Democrat, this is the way they think. If I'm libertarian, whatever. We label them. And then we know exactly all we need to know about that person because of our label, because of our preconceived ideas. We do that around age groups, boomers versus busters and millennials. We, we do that around religion and theology. Uh, it, we just do it on everything. So the important thing is to just remember that it's our natural tendency to label people. We can call these things implicit biases. We all have implicit biases. That's what labeling is. So if I really want to be in harmony in the church and in the world, I have to intentionally remove that person's label, step into their life, and say, hey, tell me about you. I want to get to know you. You have a different skin color than me, or you come from a different, from eco, different economic place than I do. You come from a different political view than I do. I, I want to get to know you as a person. And you just need to know that your brain doesn't want you to do that. So, you have to be intentional about doing it. It's just like outreach and evangelism. Your brain doesn't want you to take the time to talk to that woman that's at the table that you see she's in a bad place. 
Your brain doesn't want you to go there because now your brain has to kick into gear. That's why you have to tell your brain, no, we're, we're going to talk to this woman. The other thing we talked about early on is when we stick to our labels, we get into this right Christian, wrong Christian thinking. And um, if I'm a conservative, a Christian who is a liberal, they're a wrong Christian, and I'm a right Christian. If I'm charismatic and the other person is not charismatic, then they're a wrong Christian and I'm a right Christian. If, um, yeah, I mean, whatever you want to put on it, whatever issue we're facing in our country, if you believe we should wear masks and I believe we shouldn't, then you're a wrong Christian and I'm a right Christian. That's where we go to if we take these labels to the extreme, and that's why it's so important for us to remove labels and get to know people. The question is, does my labeling other Christians help me do what I'm called to do, and that is, for us as a church, impact people with the love of Jesus on the journey of life, or the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. So harmony and Unity and realizing that we need to stop labeling people and the focus, the song is Jesus Christ. There's a couple things that we really touched on these first few months in 1 Corinthians. The other thing I want to point out is Paul's word to the church in Corinth in chapter 3, verse 1. Stop being a baby. Remember that? Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world as, or as though you were infants in Christ. Paul, baby, basically saying grow. If you're functioning in your natural, if you are labeling people, if you are creating a divide of any kind, you're an infant in the kingdom of God. I didn't say it. Paul said it. Stop being a baby and love people. Love them well. Just love the heck out of them no matter who they are, where they're from, what they believe. Just love them. It's simple and yet hard all rolled into one. As we turn into the next few chapters of 1 Corinthians, we're going to be talking now about the problem of pride. And this morning, I'm just going to show you a few verses that talk about pride in 1 Corinthians, and then over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to dive into this. The point I want us to see as I look at these verses and we look at these verses, I, I want us to see how pride and arrogance is really a root that is running through the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 4, 
the last two verses of chapter 4, and we looked at these a, a few weeks ago, but let's, let's read these again. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. If you reread chapters 1 through 4, you will see how Paul is in the midst of dressing unity. He's dressing the arrogance of the church. They were bragging. They didn't think Paul was ever going to show up, so they were just bragging about who they were. Arrogance, the Greek word, literally means to puff up. Puffed up with air, proud and conceited. I have a bird picture that I want to show you. Oh, is there, isn't there another one? Hmm, okay. A peacock works. That's a peacock, so that's puffed up. But I'm going to bring the picture for next week because it's funny. It gives that, you know, those birds, they, they puff up their chest. They fill their chest with air. Those male birds, and they strut around. You know, it's their way to catch the attention of the female. They just puff it up. It's all air. There's nothing to this bag. It's all air. And that's, in essence, what pride, what arrogance it's all out. It's all air. It's somebody puffing up and going, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Do you see me? That's what, that's what they're saying. And that's, in essence, what's going on in this church and what is going on in the church in America. It's, it's people walking around and saying, do you see me? The next two verses, um, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 and 2, the next two verses, Paul continues this theme, and he says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and a kind that is not even tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his mother or father's wife. And you are arrogant, you are puffed up. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Have that picture of a bird in your mind. Here was somebody in their church who was doing something that not even the world saw as being right. And the church was like, yeah, look at us. Look at our grace. Look at our love. Do you see it? But what was missing was the power of the Spirit. What this man was doing was against God. But they were bragging. Later on, we'll get to chapter 8 and verses 1 through 3 in 1 Corinthians um, says this, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. This is the same Greek word for arrogance. But love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now, you see that Paul says everyone has knowledge, but when, when, when knowledge causes us to puff up, when we think we have a corner of the knowledge, then pride comes in, and when pride comes in, Destruction comes. Division comes. You see, the Corinth 
the church in Corinth, they thought they had it all together. That they had all the knowledge. That they were it. Notice the contrast here. Knowledge puffs up. It causes me to become arrogant. Love, love what? Love builds up. So if I get focused on my knowledge and how much knowledge I have, it puffs me up. But if I'm, I'm focused on love and, I, and I'm loving others, what does it do? It builds others up. At Church of the Open Door, where I was at a long time ago, Dave Johnson there, the pastor, talked about the difference between powering over and powering under. Knowledge and me thinking, puffing up, I power over people. I, I want to control them. I'm, I'm coming over top. Love powers under. It takes the other person and raises them up. Our world is a power over. The kingdom of God is a power under. First Corinthians 13. I'm, I'm just going to read the first few verses. It's not going to be up on the screen here this morning, but I'm going to read these verses. Now, as I read these first few verses, the the interesting thing is a lot of times with 1 Corinthians 13, we think it's about the contrast between spiritual gifts or not spiritual gifts or whatever, because it it always gets packed. It's packed right in between 12 and 14, 12, spiritual gifts, the body, right? Then we have the love chapter, chapter 13. Then 14 talks about orderly worship, where prophecy fits in. So a lot of times when we read 1 Corinthians 13, we read it in the context of 12 and 14, We need to read 13 in the context of 1 through 16. We need to read 13 in the context of the whole thing. So think of unity and think of pride as I read these words from Paul, starting with verse 1 of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, pride... But have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, pride, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all away all I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, pride, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, come under, and kind, come under. Love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant, does not puff up or rude, does not insist on its own way. It comes under and lifts up, builds up. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, power over, but rejoices with the truth, Love bears all things, come under, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So I want us to see as we move forward in the next few chapters of 1 Corinthians, this contrast. The contrast of 
how we puff up, we become arrogant, because I, I got the knowledge, I got the corner on what is really true in the Bible, which means I close my mind off to whatever the Spirit may be wanting to say, or love. Because if you go back to 1 Corinthians 8, verse 3, Paul says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And that is really the key. And as I wrap things up here this morning, we all know Proverbs 16, 18, pride comes before destruction and haughty spirit before the fall. Um, many times it's used to remind me not to be prideful, to not let pride ruin my life. We talk to somebody who maybe, you know what, don't be pry, prideful here. It, it, it's going to come around and bite you. What if we remembered that my pride may not only come around and bite me, but it may come around and bite everybody that I'm connected to? You see, my pride, it's not only going to hurt me, it's going to hurt Terry. My, my pride is going to hurt my kids. My pride in my role as a pastor and a leader in this church, in this body of believers, will hurt you. And as we're reading through 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 and 7, and we move on, I want us to see this contrast between pride and love is not as the individual but as a you-all thing. Because we are a body of believers. We want to live in harmony. We want to support and encourage one another. So remember, it's about harmony, singing the same song, the song of Jesus. It's about moving past our labels, rip them off, let's get to know people, let's, let's get beyond our minds saying, I don't want to do that, and let's, let's get to know a person of color to the point of understanding where they're coming from and their feelings. Let's, let's be intense, let's, let's do something to do that. Now let's grow up. Let's live by the Spirit. This week, as a family around your table at dinner, I want you to begin reading 1 Corinthians 5, chapters 5 through 9. Where do you see pride? Where do you see the arrogance within the church? How does it cause the people to get off track? And then just talk about where do you see pride popping up in your own life? Amen.